The Seahawks fell to one and two on Sunday with another disastrous effort on defense. Taking one last look at the week three defeat at Lumen Field, Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking everything down on Tell the Truth Tuesday on our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Tell the Truth Tuesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks, as always, to the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We're going to wrap up our week three coverage on Tell the Truth Tuesday with some in-depth takeaways, maybe some hot takes today. Looking back one last time at the Seahawks' Sunday defeat to the Atlanta Falcons at Lumen Field. And then we're going to shift gears to week four, a tough road game coming up against, even though they've got a one and two record, a pesky high scoring Detroit Lions squad, tough road game coming up for the Seahawks. We're going to take a look at what's new for Dan Campbell's squad heading into that latest matchup at Ford Field. This episode is brought your way by Prize Packs. Prize Packs is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. That's prizepicks.com, promo code Locked On. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. Practice squad signings seem to happen every single week for every team in the league. There's constantly musical chairs and A lot of times those moves become afterthoughts in the news cycle that is the NFL during the season, but that's not necessarily the case for the Seahawks on today's off day, bringing in four players, including three running backs, four workouts, ended up signing one of those players, Godwin Igwebuke, former Northwestern safety turned NFL running back. And that might not seem like a big deal, Rob, but We know that Travis Homer's dealing with some sore ribs coming out of Sunday's game. It seems unlikely that he is going to be able to play at least this next weekend. And that's a significant loss for Seattle special teams. They needed to add another running back that could provide insurance in the backfield as well as pitching on special teams. And Iguabuque is certainly a player with his safety background that is an intriguing addition from that regard. He is a really intriguing addition, Corbin. I mean, he, he's intriguing for so many different reasons. I mean, just for one, the fact that this is a former safety. So right off the bat, you feel confident that he is going to be able to jump in and play the invaluable position that Travis Homer played on special teams. Um, and then again, this is a six foot 215 pounder with four, four speed. Uh, so considering the fact that Seattle has struggled with durability at the running back position right now, they only have three running backs on the active roster and of course uh Rashad Penny can Walker the third and DJ Dallas you know Penny has been less than reliable of course Ken Walker has struggled with injuries already this season and some of the decisions that DJ Dallas has made has, has left his playing time a little bit vulnerable certainly you could bring up Darwin Thompson from the practice squad but I think the fact that three of the four players on which Seattle was uh working out uh reportedly according to Aaron Wilson who is very good at what he does. Uh, I think that that just speaks to the fact that Seattle is concerned that Travis Homer might be out for some time. 
I also think that it's important too, just to kind of acknowledge just the value of where Seattle is at this point in the season. They are one and two. That means they are going to be in a better position to bring in some of these players that are getting released from the NFL. So take full advantage of that. Uh, you know, and, and so I, I think that again, this is something that bears watching a little bit more for a team like the Seahawks who let's face it are in the midst of a rebuild. Uh, and so you want to get good young players, preferably on the cheap. And that's the position that you are in right now. So again, God, what it would same thing with uh, Bam Johnson or Daryl Johnson, um, the defensive end that Seattle was able to kind of steal away when the Carolina Panthers released him after training camp. We've seen Seattle do these kind of moves in the past. Of course, it was only a couple of years ago, the cornerback DJ Reed was somebody that Seattle stole away from the San Francisco 49ers. You can get really good football players that fit in with what you're looking to do i think the seattle might have been able to do exactly that with the way i'm really fascinated by this signing not just because this kid has played running back now for a year but because of that safety background and the fact that let's face it seattle is having issues at the safety position right now josh jones has struggled in three games ryan neal has not played much he's coming off a high ankle sprain who knows if he's 100 percent right now jamal adams probably is done for the season They've got some concerns at that position. So they signed him listed as a running back, but who knows? Pete Carroll, he's the ultimate roll of the dice specialist. He might look at this kid and be like, hey, you run a 4-4, you got good size. You want to go back to defense for us? I could see it happening, potentially. And he's also returned kicks. So we know Seattle is looking for some other bodies to throw into the mix there. They haven't found that guy that can really take it back to the house unless you're going to play Tyler Lockett on kick and punt returns. Uh, they don't really have a proven specialist in that regard that's got the explosiveness to do it. This kid does. And so I do think this is a much more fascinating signing for a practice squad addition than what we usually see week to week for the Seahawks. And who knows? He might not be on the roster. He might not get elevated for this game. I do also think it's fascinating the last team that he played for was the Detroit Lions last year, and he had 18 carries for 118 yards, almost seven yards per carry. He returned some kicks for them last season, so he's familiar with Dan Campbell. He knows a lot of the players on that team. He probably can provide a little bit of insight on their offense because he played in it last year, and so I often kind of shrug off those type of signings, but I do think, especially when you're talking about a Northwestern guy, you know he's got brains going to Northwestern and playing for Pat Fitzgerald, so I think that it is noteworthy in this case that they're bringing in a player that can help them on special teams, can play some running back, has played safety in the NFL before switching to offense, really intelligent guy that also played for the team that they are going to be preparing to face in Detroit next week. Yeah, again, I, I just think that strategically, I think that makes an awful lot of sense for this team. And, and I'd also mention that, that Seattle, again, also reportedly brought in former Seahawks center Joey Hunt, um, who, of course, not only was a draft pick, I mean, he was stick, or stick around with this club. He has not been playing much since he left Seattle. But at the same time, to me, that is a reflection of just the, in my opinion, the fact that Austin Blythe has simply just not played quite as well as Seattle would have liked. Certainly not these last two weeks against a very formidable 49ers defense and a good, quick 
Atlanta Falcons defense. Certainly Grady Jarrett, uh, you know, gave Austin Blythe some trouble uh, th this past week. And so the fact that Seattle's at least kicking the tires at other centers, I, I think that is that is something to keep an eye on as well. Something that I think that, that again, the Seahawks are would be wise to continue to try to, you know, see what other options are available to them because there's an awful lot of really good football players who are getting released right now that, again, I think could help a team that, that has some holes right now as the Seahawks do. If they would have immediately signed Joey Hunt, then that would have been much more striking to me. But the fact that nothing has happened to this point, it does look to me more like it's just a kick the tires type ordeal. The fact that they are looking at a player like Hunt who did start eight games for them just a few years ago, 2019, uh, I do think that it is noteworthy and maybe something ends up happening down the road but it does show you that they are looking at some players at that position. Certainly they were looking for running backs. They had Abram Smith in from Baylor as well, a player that, as you know very well from pre-draft process, that I was very high on coming out of Baylor. I'm surprised he is not on an NFL roster right now, to be honest with you. But I got kind of excited seeing that name. But he doesn't have the special teams kick return flexibility that Igwebuke has. And he also didn't have a college career with 324 tackles and seven interceptions. Like Iguibuque was a really good defensive player at the college level in the Big Ten Conference. And so I was kind of surprised to see that he's bounced around the way that he has, especially with his athletic traits, sub six, six second, three cone drill, four, four mm -hmm. speed and the size that he has. Kind of surprising that he didn't stick somewhere at the safety position. He also played. Fun fact to close off this segment, he played for the Seattle Dragons in the XFL. So maybe a little bit of a homecoming just in a different league for him joining the Seahawks. We'll see if he is active this week, but I do think his special teams capabilities and his background playing running back and safety, he might be a guy that they can plug right in that can give them some snaps as a practice squad promotion only a few days after signing. We'll see what happens later this week. Coming up next, we're going to wrap up our coverage from Sunday's game against the Atlanta Falcons. A tough loss for the Seahawks came up just short with Tell the Truth Tuesday, some offensive, defensive, and special teams takeaways, maybe some hot takes thrown in there. We're going to get to that here in a moment. Heading into week four of the NFL season, I'm rolling with Russell Wilson to have his breakout with three touchdowns against a vulnerable Raiders defense in week four. And the running back for the Carolina Panthers, Christian McCaffrey, enjoying his own splash party with 150 all-purpose yards and a score against a talented but inconsistent Cardinals defense. But don't worry, Seahawks fans. This is the week that both Rashad Penny and Ken Walker, the third score, their first touchdowns of the seasons as well. Those might sound like bold leaps, but with prize picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy football and put those entries to the test. All you got to do is pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch. This includes the NFL, obviously, as well as the NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, PGA, college football, NASCAR, MMA, boxing, and more. You can bet disc golf. If you want to do it, entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. It's safe with fast withdrawals currently operational in 30 states as well as Canada. 
So just download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match of up to $100 as long as they use the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks is going to give you $100. If you deposit $50, Prize pick is going to give you $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on and sign up for that instant deposit match of up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It's Tell the Truth Tuesday, and as we do each and every week, Rob, you and I are going to dish out either an extra takeaway we didn't touch on yesterday or maybe a hot take, an opinion, you name it. We leave this kind of open. It's our last thoughts looking back at the previous game after we've watched the broadcast again. We've watched all 22 film. So with that being said, let's start an offense. Tell the Truth Tuesday edition. What do you have to say on the offensive side of the ball? Get it off your chest, Rob. The interior of the offensive line, Corbin, was every bit as bad as we thought that it may have been. I mean, I, I went back two weeks ago and watched them against the San Francisco 49ers, and I thought, okay, you, you are going up against arguably the most gifted defensive line in all of football with all due respect to the Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams. But against the Atlanta Falcons, I mean, they've got a terrific interior player in Grady Jarrett, but as I mentioned in yesterday's show, Corbin, this is a team that finished dead last in the NFL in sacks. There were 17 games the Atlanta Falcons played a year ago, and they got 18 total sacks. For them to be able to control the line of scrimmage, at least when they needed to, against the Seattle Seahawks offensive line that has two veterans in Austin Blythe and Gabe Jackson that you either traded for or brought in as free agents, a, a left guard and Damian Lewis, who frankly I thought was better at right guard and have since seen him stumble the last year and a half at that left guard position. This has got to be a huge concern. I, I don't think that the Detroit Lions are necessarily that formidable of an opponent, but I think the rest of the teams that Seattle is going to be facing are concerning because, again, if you, it doesn't matter who your quarterback is. If you don't have any type of pocket from the interior three, and we've talked about how much of a struggle we thought the tackles might be, but the tackles have been the best of Seattle's offensive line to this point. So to me, that that's my kind of, you know, tell the truth Tuesday is I went back and watched the tape hoping that maybe I kind of jumped the gun a little bit and, and you know, kind of criticized Seattle's interior of the offensive line and how they performed against the Atlanta Falcons. And maybe I was just being too critical. And that, unfortunately for Seahawks, was not the case. I really thought that they got whipped at the line of scrimmage, and that cannot happen against a team that has the weaknesses up front that the Atlanta Falcons have. Yeah, and as you pointed out, really the big issue in this game Gabe Jackson and Damian Lewis, they had their mistakes. Lewis had the two critical holes that were both legitimate. Like, they should have been flagged. They were bad holds. Gabe Jackson had another rough gay, rough day. <laughs> we have to edit that rough gay. <laughs> this sounds horrible. Gabe Jackson had another rough day in pass protection. Run blocking was better for him than it was against San Francisco. But really, Blythe was the one that really struggled in this game. And one-on-one -on -one against Grady Jarrett in particular was having a ton of trouble in this game. They need him to step up his game. That might be why Joey Hunt was on a plane and flying out to Seattle, as we talked about last quarter. For me, I don't want to sound like I'm beating a dead horse here because this is a topic that I did touch on briefly yesterday. We've talked about it several times during training camp, preseason. 
first couple games of the year. But I'm going to put a positive spin on this. I know that the caption for our YouTube listeners is not going to look like that, but it's put up or shut up time for D. Eskridge. And what I mean by putting a positive spin on this, this is a player that has way too much talent to be standing on the sideline for 85% of the offensive plays and not pitching in on special teams. Now, you can make the argument. You talked about this some on yesterday's show, Rob. This may boil down to D. Eskridge has not had the preparation put in that needs to be put in to play on Sundays. Seattle may not be confident in his ability to go out there. Maybe he's not getting lined up properly in year two. He's had some injury issues that have set back his development. You can point out those things. But this is a team, as I talked yesterday, they have not been able to create yardage after the catch. And that is a byproduct to an extent. The type of receivers that they have are more downfield threats. Guys like Tyler Lockett catch the ball and drop down. That's fine. Preservation's okay, whatever. But they need to have a guy, every team they've played so far, has a player that they can just swing the ball out to and that guy can create yardage after the catch. In week one, the Denver Broncos were actually doing it with tight ends and fullbacks. In week two, Debo Samuel obviously is a major problem. Brandon Ayuk can create a lot of yardage after the catch as well. And then this past game against the Falcons, Corderell Patterson, whether he's running the ball or catching pass out of the backfield, Drake London was breaking tackles. They've got Kyle Pitts can also break tackles. I mean, they've got guys that can create when Marcus Mariota gets the football to him, and they can do quick dump-offs. They didn't necessarily have to do that in this game because everything else is working so well. But my point is, D. Eskridge is the player that is best equipped on this roster to be able to just quickly dump it off to him on screens or on quick slants and then breaking tackles, picking up yards after the catch, and giving them some manufactured yardage, which with Geno Smith, you're going to need more of that. He's not Russell Wilson. He's not going to be throwing bombs downfield all the time. You need to be able to have a guy that can be an explosive playmaker. And I still believe that D. Eskridge can do this. So I guess I'm calling the player out, and I'm calling out Shane Waldron too, both of them. Eskridge, do what you got to do to get on the field. And Shane Waldron, figure out how to get this kid on the field and unleash his athletic ability. He's too talented of a player to be playing five or six snaps on offense every game. Find a way to utilize this kid. And Eskridge, force him to put you on the field. It's calling out both of them. Positive spin. If you can get him going, this is a guy that could really have a positive impact on this offense in an area that they're really struggling. Yeah. And just to kind of, you know, bounce off of that. I mean, if not now, when, I mean, D Eskridge, you're, you're going back of course to Detroit in the state of Michigan, where of course he played his college ball. Yep. Um, you know, so I, I really think that this is an interesting opportunity for him. I suspect that he is going to have some friends and some family in the stands. I hope he gets the ball more in his hands than they do. Uh, because we certainly have not seen that to this point. Now, you know, kind of switching over to the defensive side of the ball, and, and Corbin, I, you know, I, I want to follow your lead, sir. I mean, you're, you're kind of, you know, trying to be positive here, and I'm going to talk about a player that I think that anybody who has watched the Seahawks with any type of, you know, just just trying to be fair still would argue that Daryl Taylor has been one of the biggest de uh, disappointments for the Seahawks so far, certainly on the defensive side of the ball. And so to be positive, here's my positive take on it. Get Boye Mafe and Bam Johnson or Daryl Johnson uh, onto the field a little bit more on first and second down. They are just showing greater physicality, greater length, uh, you know, just greater effort, frankly. And I will say the word effort when it comes to Daryl Taylor because there were just way too many times 
times when I was watching the tape where I either saw him knock to the ground, I saw him run way outside of his normal lane, or when he had to pursue downfield, that I saw him loafing, and that cannot happen. And so, yeah, I think that less can be more with Daylor Taylor. You sit him down and you say, look, your job now is an obvious pass rush situation. There's going to be plenty of pass rush situations against a Detroit Lions team that is quarterbacked by Jared Goff, who has a quick release, but at the same time, you can get up in his face. And if you can hit him, you can absolutely change the flow of the game. Seahawks fans know this all too well watching Jared Goff all those years with the Rams. And so to me, that is, I guess, the hot take that I would have here on the defensive side of the ball is I think the Seahawks are much better served, at least right now, until Daryl Taylor learns it gets a little bit more comfortable in this new alignment that i think that you have to have greater size greater physicality at the point of attack on the early running downs and the detroit lions are going to try to run the football right down your throat everybody else has, has had success the lions have had success against everybody they've played against so you know that is what Dan Campbell and Deuce Staley, former NFL running back himself, are going to be calling those plays to run the ball. So it's critical that Seattle is bigger and stronger at the point of attack. Allow Daryl Taylor to do what he does best, rush the passer, get upfield. I think that less can be more with Daryl Taylor. Get him out there and pass for situations. Don't be surprised at all. If he has his own breakout game, I think it is entirely possible that we're talking about one, two, maybe even more type of sacks if you allow him him to do what he does best yeah that's an interesting take and it, what an ironic twist of fate that boy mafe goes from being the one that was supposed to be the situational pass rusher to yeah. being the early down starter caliber player and then daryl taylor being the situational rusher but it may be best suited for both parties it's funny we were just we were just both taking a positive spin on a player that is under criticism for different reasons I've got to go full negative here on this next one, though. And it's just after watching the All-22, it's reality. It is Tell the Truth Tuesday. And the Seahawks have got to be having an earnest discussion about what to do with Cody Barton and that second starting linebacker spot. I've talked about Jordan Brooks quite a bit in these first couple weeks. I think there's been a lot more thrown at his plate, obviously, replacing Bobby Wagner in the middle. He's missed some tackles. There's been a few plays that... He hasn't looked like Jordan Brooks from last year, but I think he's trying to cover up a lot of things right now. And I think one of the big issues he's dealing with is that he doesn't have number 54 next to him anymore. Bobby Wagner is not the other linebacker. And Cody Barton, I don't think played poor in the first game. I thought against Denver was okay. Didn't play great, but wasn't bad. San Francisco game, he was pretty bad. This game was one of the worst games I've seen a linebacker play in Seattle in a long time. That's just the reality. He finished with five tackles. He should have had a lot more than that because the opportunity opportunities were there for him to make those plays. But a lot of the time, Rob, he wasn't even getting himself where he could wrap up a ball carrier. He was. He, it's almost like he's got a magnet inside of him and he's getting suction cupped into offensive linemen. He cannot keep guys off of him at the second level. And Pete Carroll keeps saying, well, the defensive line's got to be able to keep guys off. Yes, but good linebackers know how to either avoid those blocks or be too quick reading plays for blockers to get on it. And then you got to be able to shed blocks too. He has not been able to do any of those three things. There was one play in particular in this game. I posted it on Twitter today. The 17-yard touchdown that Corderell Patterson had pretty much untouched to the end zone 
in the second quarter on that play. You can make the argument that Brian Monet in the B gap maybe should have been able to get his hands on Corderell Patterson. But I don't know what Cody Barton was doing as the linebacker on that side. He was watching the fullback who then, you know, started going to the right and then he kind of did a counter block and Barton ended up getting sucked into a tackles block and he didn't seem alert to where the football was at at all. There's no flow to the football. He he just didn't do what he needed to do on that play at all. It was ugly. It was hard to watch. And there were other really bad plays in this game where he just looked like he was lost. The problem the Seahawks have, as you and I have talked about, is who would replace him right now? The only backup that you've got on the roster is Nick Bellore, and he is not at this stage of his career a guy that you can play every down at linebacker in the NFL, their practice squad. They don't really have anybody they can chuck up. I mean, maybe Christian Jones could play, but I mean, until John Radigan is healthy, that's the only guy that they have that might be available that I could say, you know what? He could play that spot. I don't know what they're going to do, Rob, but Cody Barton has really struggled in this three, four defense. And even the four, three looks when they've gone into base four two, he has just struggled all around. So I think they've got to be having earnest discussions. What do we do with this position? Is there a trade that we can make? Is there anybody in the free agent market that maybe can play? Because I don't know. Maybe he does turn it around, but that was hard to watch on Sunday. It was hard to watch, and we have talked about this. I mean, it just feels like Seattle has four, three linebackers trying to play a three, four defense, and I am certainly not going to try to criticize Pete Carroll, uh, you know, or or Clint Hurt, or or any of the Seattle's defensive coaches. They've forgotten more football than I'll ever know. I, I will certainly acknowledge that, but I can tell you this: having watched as much football as I have over my career. Three, four inside linebackers should be able to take on lead blockers and shut them in the hole. And that is not Jordan Brooks or especially Cody Barton's game. And so that's one of the concerns. That's why I thought that Nick Ballor might very much be on the cutting block coming out of training camp, fully acknowledging how great of a special teams player he is, how much of a leader he is, because I had these concerns. I, I thought that they needed to bring somebody who was a stump in the middle, and they just don't have that guy, somebody that might be able to push a player like Cody Barton. So you're absolutely right. That 17-yard run, I mean, Corby, I think you did a great job of describing what happened. I'll try and give it in simpler terms. I, I felt like Cody Barton basically was at a traffic stop. He looked behind him to see if there was anybody riding a bike or walking behind him and then just walked right into traffic because that's what happened is he got kind of blown away in quarter row pants. He, he's a magnet yeah. offensive lineman. It's exactly. I mean, Patterson basically skipped his way into the end zone because the lane was that clear that you could have sent a Greyhound through there. And, and so that just simply cannot happen. And Pete Carroll kind of referenced this, said that Cody Barton maybe had a couple of plays that he wishes that he could have changed. Well, I promise you that was one of them that he could change. And the Detroit Lions are going to run the football right into that same exact gap. So it's going to be fascinating to see. I, I do think that Cody Barton is going to have a bit of a bounce back game. I hope that Austin Blythe, the player that I mentioned a moment ago, is going to, and Daryl Taylor as well are going to have those bounce back games. But if they do not, then again, you're going to be in week four, the waiver wire process. There are going to be some good football. There was a good, a couple of good linebackers that were released here in the last couple of days that I actually think might be a bit of an upgrade for Seattle. So I would not be surprised at all if John Schneider is continuing to peek under every nook and cranny he possibly can to uh, address the lack of physicality, the lack of tenacity that we're seeing, especially on Seattle's defense so far. 
And we talked about this some yesterday to close out this segment. Not going to have time to get to our special teams takes today because we had so much fire to, or so much gasoline to throw in the fire, I guess, on offense and defensive topics. But they don't have the internal options at linebacker that they do at edge rusher where you can put a guy like Boye Mafe or Daryl Johnson into the lineup right now and do some rotating changes there. They don't have that option at inside linebacker. So it, it is on Cody Barton. You have got to play better. And if not, that is a position that John Schneider in the middle of the season, he has to find a way. Can I find someone that is going to do a better job in this scheme that I can bring in that can kind of hit the ground running? And that is not easy to do in the middle of the season. So a lot of these positions, they're going to have to work internally. I just don't know that they can here unless John Radigan somehow is quicker to return than what I think he is. I would not be shocked if he doesn't play this year because the ACL injury he had happened so late last season. But that would be the one internal candidate that would make sense, and he's unfortunately not healthy. I think if he was, the Seahawks would be having a conversation right now. Do we give Radigan a shot to play? Because he can't be worse than what we saw from Barton the other day. That's how bad it was against the Atlanta Falcons. They need him to step up, or they got to figure out who out there can fill the void they don't have that other player on their roster currently. We've got a big matchup coming up in Detroit. The Lions, the highest scoring offense in the NFL. They've also got the most forgiving defense in the NFL. We're going to take a look at what's new for Dan Campbell's squad. And, of course, a pretty intriguing draft class that they brought in this year with two first-round picks as well. We're going to look at that coming up here next on the Locked on Seahawks podcast. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks as always to the 12s out there. We greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out for your second listen, the Peacock and Williamson NFL show. Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson give you the expert NFL analysis in less than 30 minutes. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. All right, it's time to switch gears. We finally wrapped up that ugly, disappointing loss to the Atlanta Falcons with Tell the Truth Tuesday. Now we can shift to the upcoming opponent. And the Detroit Lions, they're one of those teams, you look from a record standpoint, they're one and two, but they had a chance to win all three games that they've played so far. The defense has been pretty shaky. They are dead last in the NFL, giving up 31 points per game. But the offense has been the exact opposite. They are first in the NFL scoring more than 31 points per game. They've got a dynamic rushing attack. The passing game has really come together in year two with Jared Goff under center. He's got some fun weapons on the outside. And this is an interesting team, Rob, because really when you look at the free agency standpoint, they didn't really make any major additions to this roster. They didn't really lose any significant players, at least based on the way these guys played in the last year or two. Really, they just brought their roster back from last year that had a lot of fun young players on it that were getting better, and they had a really intriguing draft class to go on top of it. Yeah, before we get into the draft class, and you know I want to gush about that draft class, I I would say that DJ Chark, the the wide receiver from Jacksonville, um, you know, I I think that he is a notable addition, especially because Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, dynamic wide receiver for the Lions, may not be available 
for Detroit against Seattle this week. So you could see Chark, um, you know, be pushed into more of a role. That said, I think that you make an excellent point. This is not a team that just spent millions of dollars to bring in a whole bunch of, of flashy new players. And, you know, the Atlanta Falcons last week's opponent did do that, uh, you know. And, and so to me, that's what's interesting about this is this is just basically kind of, uh, I guess, doubling down on it's the head coach. It's an old school rebuild is what it is. Exactly. And, and I think that it's, it's also this kind of doubling down on the new head or on the head coach, Dan Campbell, and just his desire. He, he is one of those head coaches that you just want to play for because of just how bad he wants it. And there are some Seahawks fans out there might remember some of the comments that he made about how he's going to, you know, chew your kneecap and all that kind of stuff. But his players well, play hard for him. Uh, you know, even last year when this is a team that struggled, I mean, they they finished with the second worst record in all of the NFL. But just like you mentioned so far this year, when they have lost a close game, 38 to 35 against the Philadelphia Eagles team, that for my money has been the most impressive that I've seen in all of the NFC so far. They lost 36 27 uh, to Washington and they lost 28 24 to Minnesota. Those are three pretty dynamic offenses. I certainly didn't expect Washington to be dynamic, but they certainly have been so far. So this is a team that, as you said, is putting up points, is you know also giving up a lot of points. But of course, Seattle has been giving up points in droves themselves, and their offense has been a little bit inconsistent. So has there been a lot of changes on the offensive side of the ball? Not really. The most dynamic addition they if they made was their second of those two first-round picks, the wide receiver from Alabama, Jamie Jamison Williams, who is coming off the ACL that he tore in the national championship game. He is not going to be available to play in this game. Their most dynamic running back, DeAndre Swift, is coming off of an injury. He's not likely to be able to play in this game. Detroit's walking this game kind of limping, but at the same time, again, they play physical, and that is something that Seattle has to try to match. Otherwise, they're going to walk out one and three. Yeah, this is a game that is really must win for both squads because the Lions, as competitive as they've been, they're one and two as well. If they fall to one and three in a division that's got the Packers, I think the Vikings could potentially be a playoff team. Uh, the Chicago Bears are two and one somehow yeah. with the way that their offense has played. They've won two of their first three games. I mean, that could get away from Detroit. And this is a team that I said before the year that I thought was going to be a sleeper, and they've played like that. The defense is dealing with a lot of injuries, though, right now. You mentioned Swift and Amon Ross St. Brown not being available on offense, but you look on defense, Tracy Walker, one of their starting safeties, tore his Achilles this weekend. So he's out for the season. That's a significant loss for a defense that's already been struggling. One of their top draft picks, second rounder Josh Paschal, is on the pup list. And Romeo Aquora, one of their best pass rushers, is still on the pup list. So there's a lot of really good defensive players for the Lions that haven't played in any games yet this year. So that's one of the reasons they're ranked 32nd in the NFL. They're missing a lot of talent on that defense. And they're going to get some of those guys back here in the next few weeks, but they're not going to have either one of those pass rushers available. And certainly Walker's not going to play again the rest of the year with the Achilles injury. So that's been one thing that has not worked out for Detroit. But this offense, they can win shootouts. They've shown that these three games. And even if they don't have Amonra St. Brown, or DeAndre Swift. I mean, Jamal Williams is a starter caliber running back, and he'll just take the reins out of the backfield. And they've got Josh Reynolds and a couple other receivers they really like, DJ Shark, as you mentioned. So 
Uh, they've also got a really good tight end in TJ Hawkinson. I mean, they've got weapons, even with some of the guys that are banged up right now. So this is a team that is really fun. I think we got to talk the draft class, though, real quick, because they didn't have the big, splashy additions in free agency. But this is a draft class that's really fun. Even with Jamison Williams not playing in a game yet, I think he's got a chance to be a superstar on the outside for the Lions. He might have been the best receiver in the whole draft. He might have been a top-five pick without the ACL injury. We're talking about a major talent, but Aiden Hutchinson, number two overall pick, had a three-sat game already in his NFL career. Kirby Joseph is probably going to get an opportunity now. Their third rounder out of Illinois with Walker being out. He might get some snaps in the secondary, a really fun playmaking safety, and even get a sixth rounder. This is going to excite you because it's a late-round draft pick that is shining, and that's Malcolm Rodriguez from Oklahoma State, who you and I actually mentioned a little bit in the pre-draft process. This was such a deep linebacker class. And this kid's a six-rounder, and he's starting in the middle for the Detroit Lions. Really good football player there with Malcolm Rodriguez. Not a great athlete, and that's one of the reasons why he dropped to where he did. But incredibly productive at Oklahoma State, and is just showing off what I've always called Jedi-like instincts. You know, there's just those guys that can basically close their eyes when the ball is snapped and still be able to kind of work their way towards the football. You know, I, I mentioned before about some of the linebackers that struggle to be able to get off of blocks. When you beat the blockers to the punch, then it's a lot easier to do so. And that's something that Malcolm Rodriguez does very, very well. I'm not at all surprised that he is playing for, again, Dan Campbell, maybe one of the most aggressive coaches in all the NFL. That's the type of player, a, a rebuilding team. You know, you want to see the young players be able to kind of jump up and to seize their opportunities. Malcolm Rodriguez has done that. And then, oh my goodness, I can just gush for hours about Aiden Hutchinson. There's a reason why he was the yeah. first defensive player to, you know, be invited to the Heisman camp, Heisman Trophy ceremony for a long, long time. Um, you know, University of Washington fans, of course, remember Aiden Hutchinson far too well. Uh, I just really think this is a fascinating matchup. They're going to move him inside. They're going to move him outside, left side, right side. So both of Seattle's rookie offensive tackles are going to get their hands full with Aiden Hutchinson. He is not the dynamic athlete off the ball that Daryl Taylor is, but he uses his hands as well as any rookie defensive lineman I've seen in an awful long time, Corbett. He is explosive with his power as well as his burst. Uh, you know, and he just locates the football again very, very well. So of all of the uh, of all of the new additions for the Detroit Lions, there is no question in my mind, Aiden Hutchinson is that guy that you've got to be able to slow down. Otherwise, he might very well be able to duplicate that three-sack performance that you mentioned before against Seattle on Sunday. And the, I guess the good news for Seattle, they're not going to have to deal with the other pass rusher that the Lions drafted. I mentioned Josh Pascal. He's on the pup list, a player that I really loved watching his tape at Kentucky, extremely disruptive, a much different style player, much more physically imposing, a guy that can bull rush you. I uh, really enjoy his tape, was a guy that I thought maybe the Seahawks might have some interest in. He's going to make that front seven much better when he's available, but the Seahawks luckily will not have to worry about him in this football game among a number of other players that are injured. But certainly Hutchinson against the two rookie tackles for the Seahawks. That might be the number one matchup on our Matchup Wednesday show. So that's a perfect segue here going into tomorrow's episode. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Robert Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week 
on YouTube. Coming up on tomorrow's episode, as I just hinted at, it's Matchup Wednesday. We're going to take a look at key matchups for the Seahawks on offense and defense. You don't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.